0: to I'm Dapper Dan Gavazdan, and I own every issue of Amazing Spider-Man, including the annuals, which definitely count.
1: And I'm mischievous Mark Chinacchio, and I too own every issue of Amazing Spider-Man, including the annuals, which definitely do not count.
0: Well, welcome everybody to the Amazing Spider-Talk, the show where two fans and collectors uncover the strange, fun, and fascinating history of the Spider-Man comic universe. Thanks for joining us for another of our review episodes of The Amazing Spider Talk.
1: If you want to swing along with us on our journey through Spidey's past, present, and future, subscribe to Amazing Spider Talk on your favorite podcast app. And of course, leave us a review to help spread the word
0: about our show. I feel like we've got this intro down to, like, so specific, Mark, that we both end up sounding a little bit like Captain Kirk. It's got that, like, <laughs> weird uh, weird enunciation. We have to, have to go
1: now to the app. Uh, no, I gotcha. Understand. All right.
0: <laughs> well, to, to finish off the intro here, it is important to note that this podcast exists because of the support of our Patreon members. If you want to receive early episodes, exclusive artwork, and keep our podcast going, go to amazing spidertalk.com and consider joining our Patreon. What's new? Today on the show, Mark and I are going to be discussing Amazing Spider-Man, Volume 6, Number 32. This issue was written by Zeb Wells. The cover artwork is from John Romita Jr., Scott Hanna, and Maury Hollowell. And the interior artwork is by Patrick Gleason, with colors by Marcio Menez, and of course, letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. This issue was first released on August 23rd, 2023. Mark... This is actually a slightly longer than normal issue. They snuck in 22 pages into this one. So your recap Ooh. might have just like a sentence or two more. Why don't you tell us what happened in this issue?
1: Well, Dan, the one thing that is not predictable in Captain Kirk-like is what Gen X uh, reference am I going to make in my recap? So, so buckle up, everyone. We open on the fiery, sultry eyes of the Queen Goblin. We got some real poetry about those eyes, and I'm kind of looking for John Cusack to enter the page holding a boombox. Instead, it's Craven Jr., Clone Craven, or as available Alan called him, Craju, or whatever other moniker you wish to call him, holding a spear. A spear that has been imbued with the sins of Norman Osborn. Imbued is such a wonderful word, isn't it, Dan? that brings us to New York, and Peter is calling, nay, annoying Norman Osborn with his concern and friendship. But wait, he's getting another phone call, and it's Felicia checking in to see just how devastated Peter is from their emotionally charged, not remotely predictable breakup. And Peter is doing just fine. So fine, in fact, he's meeting Janice Lincoln's friend Michelle for uh, a not-a-date which I guess is the kind of thing you go on with someone that you like like a sister? I'm not sure either. (laughs) We transition over to Michelle with a stern look in her eyes, and I don't think Peter is about to serenade her with any Peter Gabriel. She calls Peter out for being late, again, and Peter is all like, don't blame me, this is just how I've been written for the past 16 years. The two (laughs) bicker over whether or not Randy or Janice should reach out first about the whole mob hit ruining the wedding scenario, you know, that old chestnut and Peter goes into full Peter patronizing mode about who Janice's father is, so Michelle drops a truth bomb on him and that she is, in fact, Lonnie Lincoln's lawyer. Peter gets all indignant, so Michelle compares him to the Punisher, and suddenly, a bunch of cops on Long Island are like, wait, is someone misrepresenting the premise of the Punisher? Color us there! Back to the two fiery lovers. Craven is not going to repeat the mistakes of his father, and Queen Goblin is going to make sure of it and prove that he is better than his father by not just besting the spider, but the spider's enemy, Norman Osborn. She reveals a rather macabre-looking goblin costume lying in a casket and sends Craven out on the hunt. Norman is being shockingly normal in his lab and lets Peter know that the constant checking up on him to see if he's reverted to a sociopath thing is so many months ago and he needs to quit it. But Peter lets him know there's more to his constant worrying than making sure that he just doesn't go back to being the man who killed Gwen. In fact, Peter's starting to see the man who has constantly talked about being a father figure to him, this time with far less torture and psychedelic toothpaste. And just like that, the power goes out, and it's time for the two of them to suit up. All hell is breaking loose, and Clone Craven appears and locks himself and Norman behind a door, and it's time for Osborn to face his destiny. Norman goes to fight back, but is quickly overmatched by Kraju, But just before the fatal strike can be made to Norman, Spider-Man jumps in the way and takes the brunt of the hit, Peter immediately starts transforming into something darker and powerful, causing Craven Jr. to understand he is no longer the hunter but the hunted and to run away. And we are left with a maniacally laughing Peter, and I think Craven's in trouble now.
0: I don't think anybody was expecting the return of the phrase kraju but here we are. Amazing Spider-Man Volume 6, Number 32. Mark, I think to get into this, I think there's a lot of exciting things going on in this story arc. Whether it be the return of Krayju, if that's your thing. It, what seems to be the culmination of this long-simmering Norman plotline line. Honestly, hopefully this story arc kind of delivers on what we thought 26 was going to deliver, which is kind of the conclusion to this big storyline that uh, Zeb Wells has been cooking up for a long time. But I think the thing that excited me the most about this is, yes, it's a big story arc and we're getting Patrick Gleason on art, which is not to knock J.R.J.R. in any way, but I think Patrick Gleason is an artist. He's done a few big issues of this book beyond specifically, but I don't think we've gotten like a definitive Patrick Gleason story arc that has like cemented him and his place on this book with something epic, something big. And man, I thought that this issue was the kickoff to potentially that. What did you think?
1: Obviously, it remains to be seen like just how impactful the story is, but like certainly as an opening salvo, you know, it it, it brought the goods in terms of of uh, drama. I mean, you know, yeah, it, it, it's it, Patrick Gleason has become kind of like one of these people that I think we talk about as being the next big thing. And I truly think he is just just got so much talent, both as a as a visual storyteller and frankly, as a as a as a narrator, as a narrator as well. I mean, I thought his, his, you know, the the issues that he scripted during the Beyond run were some of the best issues of Beyond. Like you said, like, when you think back about some of the issues that he's done so far, like, there hasn't been that, that, that special arc yet. You know, like, you know, I'm kind of thinking back to like some of the other big artists that we've had on this book. And like, you know, you can kind of associate uh an arc or two to each of them like Eminem and of course jr jr and even otley look he's got the talent to do it for sure he just needs the, the work to support it and i hope this is it because like you said like if this is truly the the um the bookend to the norman osborne you know sins erased storyline like this could be that that story for him for sure
0: I mean, I picked up action comics back in the day at the the launch of the the 50 or the rebirth of of the DC universe where he was doing Superman just for his artwork. I mean, the writing was great, too, but it was his art that kept me on that title for as long as I did. And when he left the title, so did I. And so, like, I think back to when we first saw him with the 2099 storyline that, like, I think for many people was kind of like oh, the wheels are really coming off of this run. Like th- that was a very odd storyline. And I don't think Gleason was able to really showcase what he does there because the writing was, I, I mean, I'll say it fairly incoherent to me. I-, I think he's kind of been on the roster for a while and people have been praising him, but I don't think he's gotten the like, hey, Todd McFarlane got venom, you know? Like I think I think he's due Something on that level Um, And and frankly I think This issue is his best Work on the title I find his work very detailed And expressive but sometimes The paneling is a little bit Incoherent and, and a little loose And I thought this was the opposite Very structured pages With rigid boxes until You know the moment where all hell breaks loose And the paneling You know suddenly gets looser and Images are kind of flowing into each other. I I thought all of that was very exciting visually. And I thought, okay, this is the package. This is the guy being given the time to deliver this because he's not the guy to take over the book. He's not J.R.J.R. in terms of speed, you know, but if you let him cook on something, I feel like he's going to deliver the goods. And I thought this issue was that.
1: And not to keep looking backwards, but I mean, even thinking back to you know, during the Spencer run that, that one cover he did for, what was it like 55 or 54, whatever that issue was. I mean, it's like, it's probably the most famous Spider-Man cover we've gotten over the last 10 years. And it's just a, it's just a cover, you know? Um, but yeah, like I, I, I feel from a, from a, a visual storytelling standpoint, like this, this book is very intricate, even in some of the beats that are maybe repetitive, not, not through any fault of Patrick Leeson's and we'll we'll talk about that. You know, those beats a little bit later in the show here. But like, yeah, I mean, like even just how things are kind of unfurled. Like the 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 stuff with uh, Queen Goblin and Craven at the beginning. I mean, it's beautifully rendered, and it's just it, like just kind of you know it in its own way it was kind of reminiscent to like you know, J.R.J.R.'s reveal of the Hobgoblin in terms of just kind of like how we're just kind of peeling back these layers of these two characters and 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 then, you know, it, Craven appears with, with the spear and it's like, okay, like, I mean, it's just very alluring storytelling here being done through a visual medium. I mean, you know, obviously that's what comics are, but I, I feel like we haven't gotten them, even on the issues that I love visually, I don't think we've gotten storytelling quite so visually driven as this book has been.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, it starts the mystery. It starts in close up, and you don't really know where you are. You know, I think about like the show Lost and how it it was a mystery show. So every episode started with an extreme close up and slowly gave you more grounding by pulling the camera back and revealing more about your environment. And you get that kind of same thing here, and culminates in that big splash page of you know Craven and and um, Queen Goblin and the sins of the Goblin swirling around. I mean wonderfully detailed, scary page. For me, the stuff that really stood out too was like all the Peter transformation stuff, which we'll talk about in more detail, but like visually the kind of like letterboxing on that double page spread uh, uh, where the, you know, the top and the bottom go pure black and it gets very cinematic and you've got that like layout that's crossing the page. I thought that was really neat and a really interesting way to like punctuate what was going on with Peter? Um, you know, the, as, as the, you know, Brian Hitch kind of wide paneling that, you know, creates that, like, cinematic feeling. And then, you know, that final page of Peter with his face cast in shadow and his chest glowing and the Osborne suit, like, punctuating the darkness and the specter of the goblin behind him. Like, to, that page, I saw it circulating on the internet and rightfully so uh you know i thought that was a stunning piece of artwork
1: you know i've always felt like marcio menes is probably one of the the unsung heroes of of you know marvel for you know certainly of this book what did he add to uh what gleason did here
0: yeah i mean i think he you know if gleason's a detailed penciler menes is a detailed colorist and so i think they work really well together the kind of like page after page of like red drenched scenes and like the neons of New York. There's a page where Peter calls Norman and Felicia on the phone and you get these detailed New York backgrounds, but the color is just as detailed in those backgrounds. It's not, you know, I could see another colorist rendering that in like maybe some slight gradients and like flat colors in the background to let the characters in the foreground pop. But like somehow Menya still manages to get all the advantages of you know, kind of like the, like lower variants and colors while still making things pop. I I just think this guy is a superstar so that then when you look at the cover of this book and he's not doing the colors for whatever reason, I don't know. I thought this was one of the most lackluster covers we've gotten in in this run. And even JRJR and and Hannah's stuff is not strong. I know they're doing the Menye's and Gleason variant covers, which I'm going to pick up for this four issue story you know, spending a lot more money, but those are the like the the editors clearly knew those are the real covers. We're gonna make you pay extra for them. So uh, bummer, but like I-, I would say, the JRJR covers are better this issue going forward. But like that those Gleason Menyes covers are top notch. Did did, did Menyes do anything that stood out to you?
1: I always enjoy his work, but I mean, like, you know, again, like you said, I think this was a total package effort in terms of the visuals here. And I think that they, they, everyone, I think everyone on this book was bringing out the very best in each other. And I think, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll talk. Again, later about some of the stuff that maybe didn't work as much or maybe it was repetitive. None of it had anything to do with the visuals. I mean, the visuals are just are, are just spot on. I mean, this is probably one of the best looking books we've gotten on this run so far. And again, that's no disrespect to John Ramita Jr. I love John Ramita Jr. This is a different flavor, but unlike Ed McGinnis being a different flavor, like this is this is something. It feels very elevated and like and cinematic. Like it said, it was exactly you know you said it, but that was exactly what was running through my brain when I was talking about like even the opening sequence. It's just very cinematically laid out, you know, almost Kubrick- Kubrickian, if you will. You know, I I am here for it. Like I I I want to see that on my um on my comics here. Do you want to talk a little bit about? the date or not a date or whatever the, the, the meetup with Michelle. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean,
0: l- last episode, you, like I mentioned, you know, some people were talking about this is the new potential love interest and how exhausted I was by that idea. And so I was very pleased with where this scene went, you know, which is not to say Michelle's completely removed from a potential there, but like, it's almost knowingly like we can't just move Peter on. Um and so like to me this is kind of the perfect example of like how you do supporting cast stuff. It follows up on the previous issue and lets us know what's going on between Randy and Janice. You know, it, it shows us where at where Peter's at post breakup, moving on, but not really. And it, you know, brings back that supporting cast member and sets her up to be a big player in the gang war storyline. Like I, I imagine she's gonna come back there in a big way you know, whether it's to negotiate or whatever, and dashes the love interest thing pretty much to the rock straight away. Uh, I, I like this stuff. I like single Peter. I wish we got more of this in the brand new day era where we did, despite having single Peter, we didn't get much of single Peter and like, you know, seeing Peter on a date with someone that's not MJ is actually kind of exciting. And like, yeah, prospect that they might not return to this kind of setting is great too. Because I think like with Carly Cooper, it was like, look, we all know that this is going to become a thing. You know, like get get Peter on Bumble and and give me some issues with that. I I, I agree with what you're saying about
1: single Peter. I mean, I don't. I it's it's funny like when when Michelle was introduced last issue, I I, I didn't even like really go to the idea of oh here's the next couple uh i know you are much more plugged into the conversation and the dialogue about these comics than i am so like i don't know if you inferred that solely on what was on the page or or more based on the conversation around it but like either way i i was just like oh okay but i again like kind of as what zeb wells has done consistently over the 32 issues that he's worked on is he kind of subverts the expectations Sometimes to a fault, but I think in this instance to a benefit. Because yeah, it, it, it's not gonna just be like another, all right, here we go. We're gonna we're gonna feel feel things out. Oh, you're late, but oh he he charms her anyway. No, I mean that's not what we got here. I mean it's like <laughs> there, there's conflict and and you know, maybe there's romance at some point, but like that romance is not going to be born from lack of conflict or with, yeah, like Harley Cooper, I never really got it. you know, the conflict was like, oh, I got a tattoo, you know, like, oh, <laughs> yeah. oh, man, you know, or like- returning or
0: to the old chestnut of I'm not going to tell her that I'm Spider-Man and watch that completely ruin our, our relationship. What what did you think of this? You mentioned it in your your intro there. Uh, your recap, uh, this whole like patronizing Peter. You know, he kind of lays into Michelle for being Lonnie Lincoln's lawyer. What did you think of this, like argument by Peter?
1: This is this is the side of Peter that, frankly, like when when I feel that he's propped up by folks on the internet, for lack of a better phrase, it kind of frustrates me because, like, you know again I, I love to say this even though people say i'm I say it out of context I'm not pure you know peter's not pure like so when when yeah when he kind of takes the high ground on something like this I'm just I, I kind of roll my eyes but that's what she did here and and I like that and I like that she like threw the Punisher at him like that was like <laughs> like I mean I know I made my really wacky joke in the recap about Long Island cops but like I feel like that was a very intentional joke from the creators here of like, you know, using the Punisher as a cudgel of like mischaracterizing, you know, morality, you know what I mean? Like, like, you know, where, where, where you're so on your high horse about morality that you're immoral. So I I appreciated Peter kind of clap, you know, like being like, wait, why? what? No, I'm not the Punisher, you know, like, so, like <laughs> you know, again, like this is just a first kind of, tit-for-tat situation here and you know like I I feel like Michelle is purposely being elevated as someone that we should pay attention to but at the same time it was nice to see like her kind of you know stay one step ahead of Peter here what without Peter being like a doofus either like that I think that was the other key here like you know he was late and everything but he wasn't like, you know, tripping over himself and stuttering and 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 making, you know, you know, talking about kissing his sister or anything like that. P- this this was a solid scene all around.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm okay with Peter being a hypocrite. I mean, right? He was dating Felicia and he's currently trusting in Norman Osborne and at the same time he's calling a woman out for kind of doing something similar, which is like tr- trusting in a villain. But like, I'm okay with Peter being a hypocrite. He's largely He's lo- a long time operated, like from a place of hypocrisy. Like he's a flawed guy. Yeah, for sure. Well, be a hypocrite,
1: but like, I I, I want to see the comic point out that he's being a hypocrite. That's the bottom line for me. Like, like I don't, I don't, I don't want, I don't want to be in a hypocrite and have the comic be like, yeah, isn't he right? You know what I mean? Like that's 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 when I get like a little no, no, no. Like Peter's not like you know like. When he's acting like this, there's something wrong with it, you know?
0: <laughs> yeah, and, 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 and I just want to make the case that, like, Peter has not seen Norman engage in acts of violence, and he's actively keeping an eye on him. And he just last issue saw Tombstone, it, to his eyes, disrupt this wedding in a violent way. You know, I, I don't think he's entirely wrong, even if it is a little hypocritical, because he's willing to make a deal with the Tombstone in issue five of this run, you know, to, to some degree. Anyway, en- en- enough on that. I think I think that will still continue to play out. I I I think in Gang War, like whatever side Peter ends up on is going to trust. Tr- uh, it's going to stress his a- allegiances and what his moral code is. Hopefully, not his kill code because I'm exhausted by that. But like <laughs> like just like the first five issues of this run did, where it's like Peter is acting. You know, morally uh, how he feels is correct, but may play into the hands of people he doesn't typically align with. So I think that's kind of discussion is yet to come a lot more in that upcoming gang war arc. Let's talk about two characters who kind of swap roles and throughout this story. and, And that's Craven and Queen Goblin. What do you think of their depiction here?
1: Is that all they're swapping his roles? I, I mean, I, I, I don't mean. really, I don't
0: really know. I'm, I'm going to be honest. I'm a bit confused about this relationship. Like there's definitely something sexual and manipulative at the, at the heart of it. And, the opening is this weird sexual metaphor. At least that's how I read it about piercing the darkness. And then Craven has a spear that's gonna you know liberate everybody. I
1: mean, look, it's it's pretty. I I don't even know. It's, I, don't, I don't even know if it's vague. I mean, it's pretty. It's
0: pretty. Uh, it's pretty blunt. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, or pointed in spears. A spears case. Yeah, I don't know. So I used to whip out that old chestnut. Let me pierce your darkness in my in my dating days. Yeah. Ooh. I mean, look. I, I, as like vague as the mechanics of the spear shotgun sin stuff is, it's a silly comic MacGuffin, which is fine. Like I'm willing to accept that, but I will admit it does lower the stakes, so to speak, because it does seem like he's making up rules as he goes along about this. You know, like I feel like a story like this is where you need to be doubling down on how these things work. If you're going to do something like this book does and Give those sins to Peter like suddenly our protagonist has to play by whatever these rules are and the rules seem to be whatever you know it's kind of the opposite of my complaint about the end of superior which is like superior did all this work to establish the rules and then went nope let's just throw them out the window when it's convenient and like here I feel like we're still making stuff up so I don't know do you think that's a valid criticism of this?
1: Oh, it's totally yes and storytelling here for sure, and and you know the other issue in this whole thing is like whereas you know not that I quite understand Craven's status quo, I I I think I have a grasp on it. I like to joke about how little I understand Craven's status quo. It's not that bad, but like I definitely am like struggling with uh, Queen Goblin here and how much is truly Ashley. Kafka or Ashley Kafka's clone right like it's not even the I, I I don't want to say it's not the real because then like you know the Ben Riley contingent will come in like you know castigate me but you know what I mean like I, I I don't understand who or what this character is and what what her purpose is in all this like what is she looking for I mean they're telling us what she's looking for but I don't quite quite get the feeling or, or you know what I mean it's 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 they're, they're telling not showing that's for sure I feel like Craven, Craven is well written, and the visuals are great. You know, like like you know, like like I said, not just the opening, but then like you know, like the pullback and the reveal of the goblin costume, like the shriveled goblin costume and the casket. Like this is like this is some riveting visuals here. You know, even like Craven at the end. Now she wasn't with him at the end, right? I didn't misremember that, right? It was just him.
0: Yeah, so he's got that awesome image of, like, you know, paralleling the, like, goblin costume in the coffin. You've got the gold goblin suit, like, pinned up ritualistically to the ceiling. And it just seems to be craven there, at least for now, you know, for what's been revealed thus far. I'm trying to imagine the scene where he, like, got there early and started laying out candles and, you know, like a little (laughs) potpourri. (laughs) you know like what like does craven just like do these candles and uh decorations just kind of spawn around him wherever he goes what what are you what are you going to do in hard lighting that's it like craven wherever he goes the lights adjust to make him hard lit you know
1: our first truly gothic spider-man villain but you know more more so than i guess uh, morbius or or morlin um but no i mean but like that's the thing like it's it's kind of silly and kind of makes your head hurt to think about what is actually happening with these characters but like in terms of what's on the page and how it's portrayed it's good i i i enjoyed it and and i thought this was again compelling stuff Ah, what are you gonna do i'm liking craven jr i like crazy right now queen (laughs) goblin (laughs) It,
0: it seems to me like that like queen goblin's goal or ashley kafka inside of queen goblin's goal is to Somehow return the sins to Norman Like I mean like in this case the spear But I think in past stories That's been true too she's just kind of there To drive forward Like your sins don't get To escape you Norman You know I think the the more Questionable thing is like once they get them out of Her she's still the queen goblin And it like it seems Like a very arch version of Ashley Kafka so like It's not truly her and Uh, And so on and so forth. Uh, Another thing that I struggled with this book was the, the narration from Craven. I I think it's very like Craven esque, but there is like these black uh, uh, things like he's talking to himself. And it definitely took me a minute to figure out like, Oh, that's Craven talking to himself in some way I think it was the black coloring that made me think that it was like queen goblins, like matching narration. But then someone on the Slack reminded me, oh no, that was a the thing they did in Craven's last hunt. It wasn't black. It was like like yellow and like like orange red and where Craven would like engage with himself in conversation. So at least it's a trope that, you know, dates itself back to the most famous Craven story. Although it just it definitely took me a minute to pick it up here. And, and I'm curious about the black coloring, you know, is that related to, the time that Craven thought he was black suit Spider-Man and that's the persona that has embedded himself in his head. I, I I don't know. I, once I figured that out on reread, I was like, okay, this makes a lot more sense how this dialogue is flowing.
1: You know, it seems like there's a really great place to kind of get some like inner insights and symbology and things like that. Um, And not just even
0: if, even if you're just talking to yourself, you can engage in a dialogue on this place.
1: Yeah, and that of course is the Slack. Hundreds of listeners like you hang out in our community of Spider-Man fans on Slack. The amazing Spider Slack community is absolutely free to join and you can jump into active conversations with awesome people about collecting conventions, movies, new comics, old comics, and more. Dan, uh, what's happening in the Slack this week?
0: Well, we got a lot of conversations going on the Slack, but I wanted to mention that this week in the Slack, we officially reached 500 members. And I think it's really cool to see the Slack continuing to grow. And, and the wonderful thing is, like, we're not just 500 members of people commenting. Like, a lot of the people in the Slack are content creators themselves. And so, like, you know, uh, we recently had a, uh, a guy join who owns his own, uh, like, Lego shop. And he was holding competitions for Spider-Man Lego building, in, in, you know, uh, based off of Across the Spider-Verse. And so he shared photos of that. It's just a – there's uh, so many fun and talented personalities that I get to meet in the slack and uh, I get so much joy out of like meeting so many of the listeners and like hearing their stories about how they found the show and what it's done for them and, and their Spider-Man fandom. So uh, that's just been a joy to see, to see in the slack. And now we're 500 deep. Uh, It's extra cool. So anyway, join in on the fun, come join our amazing spider slack. There's a link in the description of this episode that'll let you sign up in less than a minute. And when you come in, say hi, and we'll welcome you to the great web of life and destiny uh, as we do all of our Slack members.
1: Yeah, just when you come in, don't, don't introduce yourself in terms of team annuals count, team annuals don't count. I mean, come on. Talk about talk about a redundant argument. Woo! <laughs>
0: anyway. All right. Well, hey, you know, like redundant arguments. Let's talk about Peter and Norman. In, in this case, not having an argument I think in a few issues that <laughs> that, that argument is about to reappear. But I would say there is, if there is one part of this comic that I'm finding a little bit redundant, it is all the checking in on Norman, which is not bad as a plot mechanic because it makes sense. Like that is the nature of Peter and Norman's relationship. But I feel like the way that we're going about it is redundant, you know, like just Peter, like, showing up and Norman being like, Hey, I'm fine. And Peter being like, let me elevate our relationship. Like we weren't friends. Now we're friends. Now like we're friends. Now I trust you like a father, you know, like it's like, okay, but maybe we could have an issue of them going out and fighting crime together or, and we got a little bit of that here and there every time we're just meeting these two characters in the lab. And I'm like, didn't I see this before? And I'm not connecting with that element.
1: Yeah. I mean, you, you hit the nail on the head. What's what seems to be happening here with each subsequent appearance is like, you know, we're using the small talk in the lab as like an opportunity to like tell the audience, hey, everybody, they've taken another step forward here. And and there, there are other ways to do that, especially in a, a superhero comic book that can advance the story and get that point across that don't involve people talking in sterile laboratory, but that's what we've been getting here. And yeah, it's, it's utterly redundant. And, and it's also, you know, kind of going back to what I was saying in the last segment, it's, 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 it's telling, not showing storytelling, which is kind of not great. Yes. I I think it's important that we keep advancing this story, but we, you know, especially, since it seems like we're we're about to kind of hit the, the the fever pitch of this story but at the same time like we we got we got to find a new way to do it because this is this is kind of getting laughable i mean like it, it, it you know it's i don't know if it's intentionally being meta commentary in terms of norman's talk in this but even he's just like dude Stop checking on me! Like, what is wrong with you? Like, g- uh, go touch grass, Peter. I mean, like, it's <laughs> like it's seriously silly. Um, you know, like we gotta we gotta move on. <laughs> do it. Do it in a different way. Find a new show.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, and that's just it because like, uh, there's a lot of people pushing back on like, why would Peter do this? And like, I believe this from the get go. Like, Peter has always been a person who's very quick to assign fatherly status to people in his life, right? He's looking to fill that uncle Ben role. And many different people have filled that role in the movies, in the comics, in whatever. So like, I believe that as a characteristic of Peter, right? Like he is, You know, like knocking down father figures left and right, you know, and that's what made Norman always so interesting was he was kind of that twisted father figure and some stories never touch on that and other stories really lean into the Norman as father figure thing, you know, like, uh, you know, uh, there's that one series of issues. Was it the return of the Green Goblin where or the revenge of the green goblin where he's literally dressing Peter up as the goblin and brainwashing him to go out on the town and calling him like his son instead of Harry. Like that's been a very established trope, whether or not it's as accurate as portrayed here, where he's like the first time I met you, I met the fatherly figure. And that's not really true. Canonically in Spider-Man's history, there was a little bit of it. The movies really elevated that and, retcons have kind of pumped that up i'm willing to buy it and i'm willing to buy this from peter which is to say like it doesn't need to be this dryly communicated like i'm already on board do something with it you know
1: right right for sure
0: we gotta find we we gotta find
1: there are ways to do this without just having them talk about it Why don't we talk about the the, the transformation at the end, though, because this was this was this was some wild stuff. I mean, as much as we as much as I liked the visuals at the beginning of this comic, I mean, the 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 end, the you know, the final salvo here was some some really incredible stuff here from Gleason. What what was your takeaway from it?
0: Yeah. You know what it reminded me of was the uh, goblin transformation in the spectacular Spider-Man magazine. You know, anybody that's read that, which really is kind of like the extended origin of the Green Goblin Spider-Man relationship. You know, it's like the big goblin Spider-Man, you know, fighting each other story outside like pre-121 and the death of Gwen. And it retells the origin of the Goblin and, you know, the explosion. But then it, you kind of get this, like, trippy visual of what it looks like to see things from the Goblin's point of view. Something that I think Ultimate Spider-Man would really run with when it showed some of the, like, first-person perspective of the Goblin. And you're not getting that here. You're getting really, like, Craven's perspective but it's just as, like, trippy and horrifying as that, like, it made me feel similarly to how I felt when I first read that John Ramita Sr. comic.
1: I think that's a great analogy. Yeah, I don't. I don't know how much I have to add to it outside of the fact, like, you know, if you had told me a few months ago that we were going to get a story that where Peter was going to get, you know, imbued with the sins of norman i i probably would have been like oh brother what are we doing here and this sets it up in a way where i'm like ooh, this is you know i i i mean like i always kind of get a little antsy about dark spider-man stuff you know that that goes for both in in continuity and alt-universe kind of stuff you know, I don't. I I guess there's a part of me that doesn't think they're going to go too too far with it. Um, I don't know. Maybe I'm being naive. What, what, do you, Do you have any speculation to that, to those limits, Dan?
0: <laughs> well, I mean, you know, what I'm most curious about is like who remains the protagonist in these stories. You know, because like one of the interesting things about the transformation scene is it's very clearly from Craven's perspective, and it like shows even like the reversal of Craven's last hunt of the giant spider, like chasing down the lion, you know, it's got that trippy imagery that we associate with that story. And Craven admits that he's now going to be hunted, you know? So like, are we going to see a comic from Craven's point of view? Like that could be really interesting. I don't know if that's what I want. uh, The final image of this comic delivers on like the fear factor that would make me Relate to anybody thrown into the protagonist's position And then the next thing I really am curious About is like you know I, I, I think it's cool That we're getting this story because I think Goblin Spider-Man is something that Has been teased a long Time in this book you know Like what would it look like for Norman To ostensibly be Successful in recruiting Peter to his agenda and here You get that in a metaphysical way, you know, that final image is terrifying and we can talk about it, uh, you know, a a bit more, but like the question I have is like, what is a goblinified or sins of Normanified Peter going to behave like, like uh, so far we just have him tearing, you know, his mask open and laughing like the goblin as the specter of the goblin is behind him in the background, which I mean, that image is just an all time, Scary conclusion to a comic like I'm I'm curious again like with the whole like um, Ashley Kafka thing which is why I think the rules are important like how much of Peter is left in there like what will he be written like will it be written like Norman Osborn or will it be a like Peter that uses his particular like like wit angrily you know because we saw Ashley you know manipulating her therapy you know knowledge. To wield against villains. What is a goblinified Peter look like? And that's exciting, like for me to at least like read read that. I mean, if you had any guess, like what what would you want to see a goblin Peter be like? I don't know. I I, I, I wanna s
1: I guess that's the thing. Like I, I don't expect it to be that dramatic, I guess. Um, which might make me boring, but like I I, I guess like I'm 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 expecting I hope there's no drama that comes out of this. <laughs> well no, no. I, I I that's it's not that. I just mean like I, I, I'm expecting more of like an inverted dark version of Peter here. I'm not I, I'm not I'm not expecting him to be unrecognizable. I, I just because I don't know if I want to read an unrecognizable Peter. this story i mean like you know what you just described about like having an issue from craven's point of view that actually kind of interested me you know like him kind of being on the run from from spider-man um but like that's a one issue flavor like i don't like i don't need to be that taken out of the story where like spider-man is so unrecognizable that you know and i know you weren't suggesting that there'd be multiple issues in that regard but i just mean like if Spider-Man is so unrecognizable that like there's just no inherent traces of Peter in there, then you might as well just scrap the storyline and and tell it from Craven's point of view for the next three issues. And I don't think they're going to do that. I think we're going to get, yeah, like I said, it's just going to be a more dark, twisted, vengeful version of Spider-Man. I mean, maybe even Michelle's comment about the Punisher was kind of a, a hint, hint, nudge, nudge about what is, what is dark Spider-Man like? You know what I mean? Like it, it, it's, it, it could very well go in a direction like that in terms of what do those sins do to his characteristics. But I, I, I wouldn't put more into it than I wouldn't, I'm not thinking it's going to be more than that is my, my kind of final say on that. You
0: know? I, my, my hope is that it's from Peter's perspective and it's actually a moment for empathy. Like, like what does it look like for Norman to have fought off the influence of the goblin formula all this time and his accumulated sins, you know, like I think there's an opportunity to, you know, like, well, not only for Norman, but actually Ashley, Ashley Kafka, like, like what, what she went through in this transformation. I'm not asking for like superior Spider-Man number nine mindscape fights uh, or anything like that, but it would be neat to like have Gwen's. Ghost appear and haunt Peter and and blame him for murdering her, you know, like, uh, like, what what would it be like to take that on? I think there's so many ways you could go with this. My big hope is that it's something wholly new because we've seen dark Peter before. We've seen him become just the spider before. And like but like I want to see like if you got one shot at this, like. Give me a completely unique creation That years from now we'll refer back and go Remember like Goblin Sins Peter? Like what a thing, you know You want to talk grades?
1: Yeah, I- I'm going to give this a solid B I-, I thought this was a really good opening arc I-, I I don't think I can go much higher than that What about you?
0: I'm giving it a B plus I can go higher than that I, I was almost ready to give it an A minus Except that I find the Norman stuff re- a bit repetitive But like There you go This is the end of that I, I think I dare say, you know, like it's done. Let's get to the actual story that we've been like hinting at all this time. So I- I'm ready and i'm I'm especially ready to buy that uh, P- uh, Patrick Gleason cover for the next issue because it's one of the coolest Spider-Man covers I've seen in a long time. That's just me forking over my money to Marvel for extra covers.
1: You and your sweet sweet covers. Well, well, speaking of endings, Dan, it's that time time for all good things to come to an end. So we want to say thank you to you, the listeners and viewers for tuning into
0: this episode of the amazing spider talk. Yeah, this podcast exists because of listener support on the Patreon. For only $3.99 a month, you can help support our show's existence while getting early episodes, including these reviews the same weeks the comics release, exclusive artwork, and a ton of other bonuses. So I thank you again to everybody who already supports us and the work that we do. And I would be remiss if I didn't give one more shout-out to the fact that Patreon messed up with the booking. So if you were formerly a Patreon supporter and you want to come back, we lost about 20% of our subscribers because of Patreon's mix-up, they fixed the problem. We welcome you all back. Or if you're considering for the first time, come help us out. Get back up to where we once were. To download our
1: earliest episodes, including interviews with legendary creators like JMD, Tom DeFalco, Ron Friends, Mark Bagley, David Michelinie, and many more, subscribe to our amazing Spider Talk Back Issues podcast on Apple Podcasts.
0: This podcast was edited by Rick Coast. The video version of the show is available on YouTube and was edited by Alex Galucki. Our artwork comes handcrafted from artists Ron Friend, Sal Busema, and Nick Cagnetti. Our theme songs were produced by Ryland Bojack, Tony Thaxton, and spider Madge, And our animated intro was created and performed by Josh Sutton. So Mark, until I pierce you with a spear, infected with the spirit of the annuals, and turn you into an avenging angel for the sanctity and merit of annuals. What's our motto? Ooh, with great podcasts, there must
1: also come the amazing spider talk. Don't, don't
0: miss the next in- I pierce your darkness. Woo. It's
1: so weird.